The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is a Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. There is no time. There is no death. Life is a dream. It's a podcast. Made again and again and again and again and again and again and on into eternity. Well, let's Woo! talk about this masterpiece. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this is a horror a horror masterpiece, guys. Hands down, will win the horror of 2021. Um, and from that quote, this, this show just barely came out, of course. We're talking about Midnight Mass and Mike Flanagan. Oh, masterpiece. He's done it again. Uh, he, uh, this blows everything else he's done out of the water, in my opinion. I would say for me, it's probably, yeah, I think it might have just barely edged out Oculus as my favorite Flanagan thing. Uh, so for those who haven't watched this show yet, you really need to stop what you're doing and go watch this Netflix show. Um, it's an incredible piece of not only uh, horror art, but it's just so poignant and and poetic and beautiful and so well done so well done this entire episode is just going to be us oogling and googling over this dumb show oh it's so good it it really is it's it's phenomenal so if you wanted to know hey should i check out this show what do the scream kings think we think that it is one million percent worth your time stop what you're doing go watch it and then come back and listen to our thoughts uh you know, join in the, the discussion. But I don't want you to have this beautiful, wonderful, complicated, scary piece of uh, film. Well, not film, I guess. This this beautiful miniseries uh, ruined. So here's, yeah, we, we just can't emphasize this enough. It's worth your time. Now go watch it if you haven't yet. And then come back and listen. Good morning. I know I'm not who you expected to see. Just know, I'm only here to help, and I look forward to meeting you all. So tell me when you're gonna let me in. I'm a pretty rational guy. Something's happening here. You're gonna let me in. We are living in a miraculous time. You're gonna let me in. I mean, what's a little crazy between friends, right? Okay, so now that that our spoiler alert is over, let's talk about the show. What? So, what what did you like about Midnight Mass, Max? Oh my gosh, this this TV series is damn near perfect, everyone. Um, overall, I think we have to kind of approach it from both a macro and a micro level here. Yes. Um, 
because uh, it's just such a beautiful piece of artwork that we have um, that we really need to kind of take it as a two-prong approach in my mind. Nathaniel, do you agree? Yes, I think I think that's a really good way to approach it, where we can kind of look at the uh, individual elements um, after we kind of maybe look at it as a whole. Uh, yeah, and I have a lot of kind of stuff I want to say. I've been thinking about this show nonstop since I finished it. Um, and so let's start with the macro level. You know, this show is amazing. Um, and really, we just kind of have to get this out there. But it's beautiful writing. It's a beautiful story. The plot is beautiful. The characters are authentic, realistic, and beautiful. The acting is incredible. Oh, yes. uh, and the music is mind-blowing. Uh, it's, it's damn near perfect. I'm going to be saying that phrase a lot tonight. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, on top of that, like, the visuals are very well done. Like, like just the, the camera shots are just gorgeous. Like, there's just, like, moments that you can just stop this and, like, any individual, like, frame of this show is art. Not just, you know, the, the piece as a whole. I, I just, it's so good. Yeah, and I think we could spend an entire podcast episode talking about the writing, how the monologues were just so thought out and executed by the actors so well. Uh, we could talk about the plot, how it's fresh, how it's original, but at the same time talking about stuff that we've been talking about forever. Um, and the music, how it's kind of our favorite, take something virtuous and pure and flip it on its head and make it evil. Um or, or sometimes just keep it virtuous and pure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so overall, I'm going to give a quick plot just so that we can kind of have some focal points to pick in on. Um, the show starts, one of the titular characters is named Riley. Uh, he, unfortunately, is drinking and driving one night, ends up killing someone, goes to jail. This is kind of how the show starts. Uh, and then it proceeds about kind of his... Uh, redemption arc so to speak about him coming home to a very small island uh everyone knows everyone probably less than 200 people on yep. this island yeah just and a fishing community very 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 religious very catholic and everyone's excited uh because their monsignor is coming back after a vacation in jerusalem the holy city uh however uh, a new pastor kind of shows up uh, and everyone is uh, taken aback a little bit, and as the show unfolds, we find out that this man was saved in Jerusalem. It's the same Monsignor who's supposedly very old and dying, who has been saved by what he thinks is an angel, turns out to be some sort of demon vampire, uh, whose blood has healing properties. And so this pastor, who, um, you know, three weeks before <laughs> was old and dying, has this new religious vigor and he's kind of creating these miracles because he's using this vampiric blood to create miracles and this religious revival starts to happen on the island. Um, and I'll let you take it from there, Nathaniel. Yes. Um, so you know, we, we have a, a, wide ba uh, a, a wide cast of characters and so each of them are, are kind of approaching this whole thing in different ways. So, like, uh, as you mentioned with Riley, uh, he is no longer a person of faith. You know, he is atheist, and he is, you know, very skeptical of, of the things that are going on, but he, you know, has to admit that he's seeing some pretty miraculous things, um, though, though his explanations tend to be much more kind of grounded in reality. Um, 
one of those miracles being that a girl who was paralyzed in a, a hunting accident, for lack of a better term, uh, ha- has now started being able to walk. Um, we also have like a, an old woman who has dementia who is making a remarkable recovery and is, is like becoming younger again. And everyone is everyone in the town is feeling younger and more vital and all that. At least if they've been going to mass. Um, but uh, we also have other characters like uh, Aaron Green, who also was kind of this prodigal daughter who left and then came back to the town after uh, leaving a, an abusive relationship, and she's pregnant. But then she loses her baby, and 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 you know other weird things start happening, you know, because, yeah, not only does she lose her baby, but, uh, like, it seems like she was never pregnant in the first place. Uh, Other weird stuff happens, like, a bunch of dead cats wash up on the beach uh, after a storm. Um, The local drug dealer disappears. We have um, this alcoholic in town who starts to recover and starts to try to, to do better, but then he disappears. And it's be- and and his disappearance is because when he goes to visit Father Paul uh, to to get some help and just talk through some stuff. Uh, by the way, Father Paul is uh, helping run AA. He is attacked and uh, killed, and Father Paul drinks his blood. Um, now, because you know the vampiric nature of what's going on with Father Paul and with this, you know demon angel creature um the you know he he begins to not be able to go out into the sunlight and all of that and so he begins to hold midnight masses instead and and so that just becomes like part of this religious revival but oh sorry and i think i i think to kind of sum it up the driving plot of around all of this is the monsignor's kind of desire to bring everyone back into the fold of catholicism alongside kind of his right-hand woman, Beverly Keene, who we all love to hate because she's terrible. Uh, But behind all of that is this really poetic idea of what happens after we die and Mm -hmm. kind of the mythos and pathos of religion and spirituality and what does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to be spiritual? Uh, All of these miracles are occurring because of this, you know, what modern Christians would denote as a satanic or a demonic presence on this island it culminates into this kind of jonestown-esque moment where the monsignor and his cronies are kind of giving everyone blood of the vampire well they're giving him them they've been giving them blood of this vampire and then they kind of take it to the next level and have people drink poison which kills them but because they have been drinking this vampire's blood, it kind of resurrects them as vampiric entities now. And all hell breaks loose. Uh, this is the Midnight Mass. There's a very specific and intentional scene that occurs before this. Um, and without kind of going into the nitty-gritty of the ending, ultimately a massacre ensues, and there's only two people who really remain from the island, kind of a Noah... Uh, symbolism going on here of the island burns not from flood but from fire we have a young boy and a young girl who survive to kind of tell the story so to speak yeah Uh, and so that's a lot again you have to watch this show this is all done 
over the course of seven episodes, and it's just so thought out and so intentional and beautiful. Uh, but first and foremost, I think we should dive into a few of the characters. I mentioned Beverly Keen. Yes. Uh, she is this quintessential religious woman. Um, I think her real name is Karen, but there was an editing mistake and we named her Beverly. Uh, because she is that quintessential, I want to talk to the manager, but also I'm a religious nut and I'm going to use that against you. Um, yes. Yeah, past- she, she definitely thinks that she is more holy than everyone else, that God loves her the most. Um, she's definitely very hypocritical. Like, it's it's very heavily implied that she poisoned a dog, like, really early in the series and all of that. But, you know, she she knows that, that she can get away with it because no one's going to call her on it. That's just who she is. Well, and she uses her religion as kind of a means to better herself against other people. Uh, the sheriff in town is a Muslim. Uh, he's new to the island, and she definitely kind of leans into that difference of he's different from the rest of the island. And to push it further, she is incredibly passive-aggressive. She never really tells you what she's thinking, but she does by quoting scripture or undercutting your beliefs or undercutting your sins or your desires, stuff like that. Everybody knows a woman like this, or a man. Just kind of that religious asshole that nobody likes because they think they're better than everyone else. Yep. Yeah, and and the actress on that is Samantha Sloyan, who, she did so good at that. Like, (laughs) her performance as being the absolute, like, worst person was perfect. And, like, thankfully, like, I've seen on Twitter, like, a, a few of the actors and, and, like, Mike Flanagan is, a, like, very, like, like very explicitly saying, Samantha Sloyan is a delightful human being, but she yeah. nailed it being just the, this witch. Yeah, I saw the same stuff. A lot of the main characters, like Aaron's character, uh, are really good friends with her, which is just always fun to see. Kind of the Pam and Angela moment of Midnight Mass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but her characterization of this Christian lady really it doesn't even come close to a few of the other characters. Monsignor Paul, that's his name, correct? Oh, it's Monsignor um, Pruitt. Pruitt, so John, John Pruitt, who, who yes. uh, in, in his young persona is Father Paul. Yes, uh, Pruitt. Um, the, his acting, Nathaniel was captivating. I don't know if I've ever been captivated by someone acting like that before. Uh, and so, not only was it the acting, but it was the enunciation, the pauses, the small stutters, this kind of realistic method acting that blew my mind apart. It was so good. So good. Yes. So this actor is Hamish Linklater. Um, I've seen him in, I think, two other things. Uh, the first one was like, that uh, sitcom called, I think it was The Crazy Ones. It was that sitcom that Robin Williams was in just before he died, um, it, which was okay. And and he was just kind of like uh, one of the side characters that was, I don't know, he, he was fine. Like, he had some pretty good comedic timing and stuff. But uh, the other thing I've seen him in is uh, Legion. And oh, oh right. he is so freaking good in Legion. Like, he's scary. Yeah, just, uh, I don't know, both you and I, I mean, you are much more religious than I am now, 
uh, but we both grew up in a very religious demographic, very involved in our religion, and the way he was able to capture the intonation and just the delivery of religious scripture kind of mingled with normal conversation uh, and do it so fluidly and so authentically, it just it was amazing. Yeah, this man needs an Oscar, an Emmy, a Tony, all of it. All of it! Yep. He, he really, really did a tremendous job. His, his performance really was stellar. Um, the other person that I want to highlight as just having a killer performance is Kate Siegel. Oh, who, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about how amazing she is in uh, other episodes. You know, because she's in most of Mike Flanagan's stuff. She's married to the man, after all. Um, but just her, her performance as Aaron was very heartbreaking at times. It was just so sincere, and I don't know. She she just knocked it out of the park, like like she always does, and I'm always here for it. Like I would say, her her performance in this was at least on par with her performance in Haunting of Hill House, uh, as uh, as uh, Theo, and both both of those characters are very different characters. And both of them were very well performed. She's she's just stellar. I I really love her work. Uh, and I, uh, I am just blown away because this is everyone did a phenomenal job. I'm looking at the cast list right now, and everyone just was incredible. I mean, Zach Guilford I think was the perfect complement to Kate Siegel playing Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, his his story was heartbreaking and tragic and. Just, depressing but he was able to match her level of that commitment and the two of them together there's a monologue in episode four that just is so moving yeah when when they're talking about uh like what happens after you die yeah it's like a 20 minute scene of just the two of them talking back and forth and afterward my jaw was just on the floor because of how poetic it was i used it in a job interview they asked me, you know, talk about something that inspired you recently, and I talked about Midnight Mass, because <laughs> it was just, oh, that moment where they're, you know, Riley is talking about how he believes in a very scientific kind of organic afterlife, and then she comes back with this very nuanced religious idea of heaven, and at the end of this monologue, they kind of intersect, and we realize that they're talking about the same thing, just with different spices. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's great. Watch this show. <laughs> yeah. It, so I guess should we just kind of move on to to like the some of the specifics of the writing that was so good because I mean we we've talked about the plot a little bit which was stellar. It was one of the freshest takes on vampires I've seen ever. But also just yeah like the the dialogue was was superb. It was rich. It was interesting. Like, is it totally grounded in reality? No, absolutely not. There's so many monologues in this show. But I kind of didn't care, because it no. was so good. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of monologues. I think I saw a TikTok video about um, kind of poking fun at Flanagan for this, and a lot of the shows that he does, there are these kind of epic, gorgeous monologue scenes. The TikTok just was like someone talking for three minutes. And then at the end it was like, see, monologues aren't really effective and it's like okay whatever go to hell no um, 
can I just share what I saw Mike Flanagan say on Twitter? Please, of course. Because someone was, was poking fun at him for this very same thing. Uh, and then he responded, and he was like, wait, are, are, you're saying that people don't speak in monologues? Is that why my kids won't talk to me? <laughs> it was so funny. Sad but, but true. Yeah, but I, I love that, that he has a sense of humor about it. Uh, the monologues weren't overbearing because I think the content of the monologues was really, one, poignant to the plot, was driving the plot forward, but two, it was just so well written. It was kind of captivating dialogue. Someone sold their soul to the devil to make a monologue that damn captivating. Yeah, and well, and, and what also worked so well is that each character had a very strong, unique voice. Like, I feel like sometimes dialogue and monologues can feel so uninteresting because everyone sounds the same. You know, everyone, especially like if, if everyone is just so witty and it's all this, you know, clever repartee and stuff, that, that feels old. You know, that, that's why I sometimes have a hard time watching something by, uh, written by like Diablo Cody, like uh, Jennifer's Body or uh, things like that, where it's just like, oh, I said a witty thing, haha. Well, I said a witty thing back. Like that, that can be fun, but it does kind of feel overwhelming at times. But yeah, with each of these characters, even though there was you know lengthy monologues and and they're very introspective and stuff, they were they each had their own voice and feel to them, which both reflects on the actors who were performing them as well as just the quality of the writing. Well, and also I think it was kind of framed in that realism conversations they were having weren't necessarily about the vampire they weren't necessarily about the doubts they were having it was topics that everyone has at some point in their life and grounding it in that context i think made these monologues a lot more relatable than a, a, a witty kind of banter back and forth yeah well especially because like these characters are going through some some real shit right like like Erin is pregnant and alone, living on an island that she never thought she would come back to, and then she loses her baby. Like, of course she's going to have a monologue sharing her feelings, because that's what we do. We, we shut up and we listen to people as they're suffering, right? Uh, you know, Riley is going through this existential crisis of, what do I do with my life when I know I've destroyed someone else's? Um, you know, we have... Uh, one of my favorite ones was uh, Lisa, the the girl who, you know, was yeah. paralyzed and then miraculously healed. Like when she confronts the man who paralyzed her and forgives him, oh, there were tears. There were yeah. tears. It was beautiful. It was raw. It was sincere. And like, yeah, like all of these characters are going through some like major life changes for good or for bad. And like, so of course you want to like be able to express yourself. I like that they also didn't like very clearly and concisely just go like, here's a perfect crystallization of how I feel and it's perfectly thought out. Like they, they kind of like stumble over ideas and they approach it different ways until they get out what they want to say, which is how we actually do it. Right, which I think is why it was so compelling to me, because it was just that authentic conversational uh, situation that we found our characters in. I also really, really enjoyed a lot of the dialogue. You know, we were kind of talking about a lot of the monologues, but, like, some of the, the conversations that you have between characters, you know, we talked about Riley and Aaron's, but also just, yeah, like, when he and Father Paul are talking to each other, like, during the AA uh, meetings, yeah. so good. So, yeah. 
compelling because you get to see how how we have someone who has tremendous faith and we have someone who has lost their faith but still like knows all of the you know terminology and knows kind of how this other person is thinking how they get to interact with each other and it was really very sincere uh from both of them which i really liked yeah and even uh beverly she has this moment with the sheriff in the school where she is essentially uh being incredibly racist but the dialogue that she has is rooted again in authentic conversation that we hear people talk about online social media and the way she delivers it isn't preachy it's not uh, does not feel intentional but at the same time it does and the stutters the pauses the emotion behind the monologue make it very terrifying because people really talk like that yeah um so along those lines one thing i really 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 like about this series is that um even though we definitely have some characters that do some really messed up things and and i would say that you know there's a few straight up villains in the series bev being probably the biggest one there but like for the most part most of our characters even the ones that are doing some really horrifying things do things for what they view as good reasons which i really like because you know it's not just like you know mustache twirling i'm gonna be evil (laughs) like like we have you know the monsignor he's he is bringing this monster into this town because he genuinely believes that it is an angel and that it will save them. Like his, his motivations are pure, even though he has just let something truly evil into this town. And, and, and he does some truly horrifying things himself, but you know, he, he still tries to like temper those things and tries to, do as much good as he can while doing the bad things. Like the, a great example there is the the midnight mass itself, where you know, as we have people dying, or at least you know, have, have our first couple of people die uh, from the poison. Like he he tries to like hold them and like show them like love and concern as they're dying before they come back, and. I really liked that because like it shows that like he's not just some like psychopath like he's try like he's doing this cuz he really genuinely thinks that he's doing the right thing for them, right? And I think that was really compelling to see that like all of these characters like even Bev who is awful, she's doing what she thinks is the right thing to do in her weird twisted version of what Christianity should be, which isn't my version of Christianity by any means, I want to say. But is you know it's it's what she thinks is the right way to see the world. So yeah, the fact that all of these characters are doing what they think is right, even if it's hard, even when it's um, maybe challenging uh, to their their beliefs or their morality, when when they're doing those good things, it's really interesting because that's much more interesting than just like, oh, I'm just a you know weak character and just go along with whatever other people are saying, which we do have some of. But, like, most characters are genuinely trying to do what they think is right. And that is an interesting thing for you to say, Nathaniel, because I definitely agree with you. Um, But I think it kind of brings in this idea of morality into question. You know, who decides 
you know, whether the intentions of one person are good, it doesn't make their actions good. Mm-hmm. So, and we can get to this a little bit later on in the show, um, just because, you know, when, when, where do we draw the line? You know, I, I could make a lot of arguments for a lot of good people in this world uh, who may have good intentions, but their actions are bad, but we still praise and worship them. Yes. So, and that's why I love this show, though. That's why I love this show because it, it makes you think, and oh, I'm excited to talk more about it. It's great. Yes. Well, what? Yeah. Exactly. What? What I love is that it does show the kind of inherent, complicated morality of things like religion. Yes. Where you know, so as has been referenced many times and has come up in many other episodes, yes, I'm, like, very religious. But what I really liked about this show is that it it didn't make people stupid because they were religious. I feel like a lot of things that are critical or at least uh, explore the, the moral complications of religion basically just reduce anyone who is of faith as being an idiot. You think that's fair? Like, like a lot of things just paint everyone who is religious as stupid. I agree with you on that point. I don't think everyone was uh, like everyone in the show. I don't think were highly intelligent. I, I I I agree. I think the miracles and the faith healing that was going on in this island completely blinded people. For sure, for sure. But but we don't really tend to focus in on a lot of those characters. The main characters were often the ones that were more morally complicated. So, like, to me, I think probably the best example of a very faithful religious person in this show was Lisa, where she uh, was very sincere. She had been attending Mass every day, and I don't think that that's necessarily, like, the level that one needs to have to, to be a good religious person. But, but like, she was actively sh- showing her faith. She was trying to overcome... Uh, her hatred for this man that hurt her. Uh, she then forgave him. She was a really good example of like that you can be a reasonable person and recognize when things are bad, but was also very like sincere in her faith and was the entire series all the way through. You know, even when the bad things are happening with the midnight mass, she doesn't participate in them. But she, I don't think that means that she's not. A person of faith anymore so I, I i really liked seeing you know cases where some of these characters don't have faith but they're trying to you know be good people even though that's complicated and hard and 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 i'm glad to, to see those characters but i also really like to see that, that there are characters of faith uh another great one is sheriff hassan where yeah like he's muslim and and it actually shows a lot of like respect for the Muslim faith and showing how, you know, he is, you know, has has complicated reasons for believing what he believes, but he ultimately finds great value and, and worth in his faith, even though it makes him a pariah. Yeah, I agree with all of that, definitely, at face value, but I, I think I could argue, like, with Lisa, um, Liza, however we want to pronounce her name, Lisa. Uh, she didn't confront her attacker until after the miracle had happened. Yeah. Um, why was she not able to have that sincere, innocent faith to forgive 
before a miracle happens. Because no one's perfect. And, and, and that's, that's what I like, too, is that, that, that we don't necessarily see these perfect examples of, oh, well, she, she already forgave him. No, like, you might not be able to. Like, if, if it's actively, like, destroying your life and making you sad, like, forgiveness is hard. No, and, I, and, I fully agree with that. And I'll, we'll get to this. I think we're kind of zooming in on the micro. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I, I think a real message that the show is trying to teach us is you don't need doctrine and you don't need dogma of a religion to be a good person. I agree. I think if she was able to forgive this attacker, um, the, the drunk of the island, without a miracle, to me that would resonate more as, oh, she's doing this because she's truly forgiven him. She's not doing it because of this miracle and now she believes in God and God asks us that we forgive. Um, they're different things in my mind. I think that's fair. And, and, and what I like is, yeah, she's not like this like paragon of like, this is how you be a good Catholic or whatever. Right. Like, she is doing things, even if, if her reasons are, are very faith-motivated and are flawed, she is still trying to do the right things. And, and so, I, I, so I love seeing these very flawed, very human characters. Agreed. You know, so, so, so I guess I love seeing that it, this is that we see religious characters who are not treated like total ignoramuses, but also we don't see uh, religious characters that are treated like superheroes. You know, it's not the Warrens in uh, the Conjuring <laughs> movies just, you know, praying their way to fight a demon. <laughs> like, like we, we have this, like, very grounded approach to saying, like, hey, you can be a person of faith and be a good person and be imperfect and make mistakes and you can still be a good person. And also, you can have no faith and be a good person. Like, one of my, my favorite things that, that is, like, this major theme is that, like, you're not the worst thing that you've done. Like, that is not who you are as a person. That's definitely, yeah. you know, true, true with Riley, where he, you know, has a, a tremendous moment of sacrifice and, and, and like, redemption, and, and it's this very beautiful moment while also being very horrifying. But, you know, he's not the worst thing that he's ever done. That's not who we are as people. Like, all of us do bad things. All of us fail or are weak or stupid or are, you know, make mistakes or are misguided. And yet we can still be a good person in spite of those things. That's what I loved, is that it's saying, like, anyone can be redeemed of anything that you do. But that's because the world is complicated. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's definitely a theme that goes throughout. The only pushback I would have is that we can be good people because we are good people. Mm -hmm. We can forgive ourselves because we can forgive ourselves. I, I mm -hmm. really am going to push hard back on this because I feel like it is a, a very important lesson from the show in that religion is kind of secondary to the goodness of humans. Religion is a tool. It shouldn't be a crutch. I think that's fair. I, I, I think... You know, definitely, yeah, ultimately the message is not you need to be religious to be a good person by any means. No, it, it, it's, it's very much saying you can be a good person n no matter who you are or what you believe. And also, because you make mistakes doesn't mean that you are now a broken or bad person. Agreed. Like, Agreed. And, and, and I think the universality of that is very powerful, which I love. Like, it, like that was the thing that 
like it, it it's kind of funny so um just from the title my wife was just kind of like uh, i'm probably not interested in that she she assumed it would be something you know kind of dark maybe you know dealing with devil worship or something like that and then i watched the show and then i and she was like so what what was it all about and i kind of summarized that and like talked about like how like those were the themes and she's like huh that was not at all what i thought that would be uh yeah it is very kind of misleading its title i can see that definitely yeah, or at least, like, so often things like, you know, a phrase like Midnight Mass can point to other things, but I actually thought it was a really great title for what we have, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's take a pause on kind of the macro dive. Yes. Uh, let's, let's talk let's, about let's... vampires and how they're scary again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the, so this angel, this vampire that Monsignor Pruitt brings to this island is so well done it is what i would expect a vampire to look like if they actually existed kind of this naked emaciated man with these large bat wings and the t- most terrifying part of it was its glowing pupils like a cat in the dark um, which which all of them had once they got the vampirism which i loved it was just a, such a fresh take on such a tired trope i'd never kind of understood this type of a vampire and it fit in all of the different vampire lore that we have but also at the same time that was not a plot point uh the vampire was not not the main thing about this show it was kind of a means to an end which i really liked it could have gotten very corny being about this vampire attacking the town yeah i would say that it was uh to, to use a metaphor, the vampire was the car, but it wasn't the destination. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like that. Um, and really, just some awesome, creepy moments of it crawling on the ground, or in the cave, or flying overhead, and we don't know what it is. Uh, I, I think I texted you at the beginning of the show that I was getting Mothman vibes from it. Yep. Um, just because that's kind of how it was portrayed, more as like a cryptid and not, oh, Dracula has come and he is going to suck our blood. Yeah, it was definitely a a very inhuman creature, but apparently, and and I like that this was very subtle how it all worked. That you know it was like controlling the thoughts of of the Monsignor, and it, and it was like exerting influence and stuff without even having to speak. It was very, like, whenever you'd hear it, it was just making these shrieky noises and stuff. But, you know, he was still, like, exerting influence. And I think, you know, he was able to see what the Monsignor believed and, and basically take that understanding of, 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 of the Monsignor and then twist what, you know, twist his uh, understanding of, of this creature this vampire, this demon, whatever you want to call it, to fit his faith. So, you know, it, it takes whatever you, you, how you see the world and, and makes you understand it through that lens, which I thought was brilliant. Well, and that speaks to true vampiric lore, right? The, mm-hmm. the ability to suggest and to entice and kind of lead down a dark path without, you know, sparkling and twinkling sunlight. Yeah, yeah, and and it didn't feel like, you know, oh, I'm going to give you crazy eyes, and now you're doing what I want in this weird haze state. 
Like it was, it was much better than that. Um, not to not to knock Dracula because Dracula is a masterpiece, but yeah, for yeah. sure. But, but it, it definitely it, felt less cartoonish. Yeah, it was. You know, we love and we praise Wreck for being kind of a fresh play on zombies, mm-hmm. uh, taking something that has just been exhausted and breathing new life into it. Mm-hmm. And that's what this did for vampires. Uh, pun intended, breathing new life. Ah. Uh, ha! Um, yeah, I, I also loved, yeah, just seeing how savage the, the people became as they became the vampires and how out of control things get. And, and like, you know, seeing the, the, the attempt at a measured approach with Riley and trying to, like, slowly introduce him to the idea and, you know, make sure that, you know, they're in a locked room and that they're talking through it all and walking through those steps versus when the Midnight Mass happens and, you know, uh, the Monsignor is shot and so he can't run things and suddenly, you know, Bev just lets them all out into the night. How how savage and brutal and terrifying that is, you know, as opposed to the the much more measured and and reasonable, quote unquote, a- approach to this. Sure. And outside of the vampire, the show really had some terrifying moments. In particular, when the midnight mass, kind of the Jonestown midnight mass, was about to begin. Uh, Beverly and Lisa's family. They all kind of start to sing this psalm through the village on their way to Midnight Mass. There are really beautiful cinematography moments. We get kind of an aerial view of all of these candles walking towards the chapel. And then the actual moment of Midnight Mass where people are killing themselves to have this eternal life, this resurrection. And the the doubt the fear but then also the fervent faith and it's just kind of this you know fuster cluck for lack of a better term of horror um me and my boyfriend watching this were just like oh my gosh we had to pause it and like take a breath just because it's so intense um and i think what scared me the most is it was kind of leaned into this authentic moment of what happened at Jonestown. Um, What has happened at, you know, Heaven's Gate, all of these suicide cults that exist, uh, Waco, and it it leaned in. It didn't pull punches. I know you were talking about Monsignor Pruitt earlier and how, like, benevolent he was in this moment with these people, like, holding them and saying, have faith and have faith. And I thought that was insidious. I thought that was disgusting. Well, um, I think it's supposed to be both, right? Like, right, right. Like, uh, like it's that that that's that's the the I think brilliance of it is that we have this like contradiction. Yeah, that we have have the you know intense contrast between he is poisoning this person and they're suffering and dying, but at the same time he's holding them and loving them. Right, and it's right. like, can those exist at the same time? And in that moment, it does and it's supposed to like make you feel sick because those two things shouldn't exist together right like there's no way that those can can mesh but they somehow do it's that's that's the brilliance and and also just like the the light of that of the hope of them walking to have their easter mass and the singing and the and the beautiful shots versus the horror that's about to follow like we just have so much antithesis in this whole 
series, these moments of beauty and horror right next to each other, or sometimes in the same moment. Um, same with like when uh, we have Riley die, uh, where he, he sacrifices himself after telling his story to Aaron on the boat, yeah. and, and he burns up. But it's like a both, both a beautiful moment of redemption, where he gets to see this girl that he killed not as this mangled body, but as a smiling face reaching out to him. And then you have Aaron screams. Oh, yeah. so masterful. Yep. Oh, I just got shivers thinking about that. Just because it was... It let you take that breath of, oh, he finally has found peace, he finds resolution, he's gonna be okay. And then it just cuts to her screaming as he burns in the dawn light. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was so good. Yes, and, and that's what, like, almost every moment of horror was in that series, was not just a moment of, like, oh, this is sweet. It, it was a moment of, like, good and bad at the same time. You know, even, even like, the death of the town drunk whose name is escaping me right now when the Monsignor kills him, it's, like, a moment where he is coming to him because he's saying, you know, to, to say, like, hey, can I talk to you because I'm having a hard day uh, not drinking, but I haven't drank. You know, I, I, I didn't drink today, and I just want to, like, have someone to be with for a minute. And so, yeah. like, it's this moment of, of kind of, like, a, a small moment of redemption for him, and then there's his death. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, like, like using that level of, of stark contrast between these moments of miracle and, and, and absolute monstrosity is just oh I, I, I basically just I have a life goal to do something creative involving Mike Flanagan like if, if he and I could ever collaborate on anything ever <laughs> I would die a happy man um yeah I also would like to be present uh just to oogle and google at him which apparently is my catchphrase for this episode apparently <laughs> All right. Anything else that is amazing about this that we want to talk on a micro level? Or um, macro, excuse me, macro. I don't know. I, I could just keep frothing on the mouth, but we should probably move on. <laughs> We've right. been going for 45 minutes at this point. I know. We haven't even got to, like, my notes. <laughs> um. Okay, I, I, I think I need to make a caveat here that... um. You know, as we stated earlier, I grew up very religious. You still are very religious. I have since left religion and Christianity altogether. Um, I do not believe in a Christ figure. I don't feel like a Christ figure is important to my spirituality. And so I kind of bring, a, I wouldn't say a cynical point of view to religion, uh, but definitely kind of a not faithful interpretation. Does that yeah. make sense? And is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, because I, I, I do want to put forth that I think religion has benefit in society. There are a lot of people I know who are actively trying to undermine religion and think it's useless. And I don't agree with that. Uh, I try to live my life by if you are participating in something that makes you truly happy and you're not harming anyone, then you should lean into that, embrace your happiness, and support that happiness. Um, However, uh, I have been scarred quite a bit by religion, uh, in particular the religious demographic here in Utah. And watching this show for me was incredibly 
powerful in that it, it really resonated with what my religious and spiritual ideas are now in mm-hmm. that I, I feel like sometimes people and humanity in general get caught up so much in the doctrine and in the dogma of religion, of organized religion, mm-hmm. that it confines them to a box and it chains them up to do actions that are very opposite of what I think religious figures would you know, emulate, uh, Christ or Muhammad or whatever we want to talk about. Um, I definitely agree. The trouble with this, though, for me at least, is people who do identify with religion, organized religion in particular, still have to kind of identify with that doctrine and dogma to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to participate. You know, if you're going to believe in organized religion, it kind of doesn't make sense to say, I believe in this, but I don't agree with dogma X, Y, and Z. Or I'm not going to do these rituals or these whatever. Right, right, exactly. And that's kind of the point I want to get with Midnight Mass. I noticed something with the music of the show is that I would say nine out of ten times that they were playing the song Nearer My God to Thee, uh, which is an old uh, Catholic hymn. I'm not sure if it's Catholic. It could be Protestant. Someone correct me here if I'm wrong. Um that talks about, of course, being close to the divine, being close to God. And the moments that Flanagan chose to play the song were nothing related to the doctrine or the dogma. It was when Riley was you know, talking about what he felt was happening in the afterlife, or when Aaron was struggling with her miscarriage and coming to Riley. Kind of these very tragic moments of real humanism that is when we were close to God. And I think mm-hmm. that was very intentional. Anytime we were kind of at the religious service or watching Beverly do her thing or Monsignor Pruitt do his thing, the music was kind of this ostentatious kind of acapella hymnal that was playing. It felt very ceremonial to me. Mm-hmm. And then those small quiet moments uh, where true spirituality existed to me was when we are really closer to God. And so this kind of made me start to think, you know, is this show kind of anti-religion? And I I kind of believe so. I know you have later on in the notes that you think it's more anti-hypocritical, which is fair. I can give space for that. Uh, But watching it, for me, as someone who has left the faith, I could see a lot of parallels where this doctrine and dogma, even though Monsignor Pruitt's intentions were good what he was doing was bad and it was framed within scripture it was framed within his religion oh yeah yeah like every every bad thing that he does or especially every bad thing that uh bev convinces him to do or or you know whenever he he needs justification she just spouts out a a bible verse and then he's like okay well i guess we're good then Uh, yeah and so it really caused me to think of this this paradox of when do we draw the line when as part of organized religion do we say no even though your intentions are good and maybe the founding of the church was good or the motivations here are good you're still doing harm when is enough enough and so that's why i really like scenes when riley is kind of he decides he's been given this gift of the vampire. I don't think we talked about this in our macro version is he's killed by the vampire 
and Monsignor Pruitt brings him back to life. And we have, again, a 20-minute dialogue of the Monsignor kind of talking about guilt and resurrection and Easter. And Riley's been given this gift. He should be a, an apostle and share this good news. Mm-hmm. And what does Riley do? He decides to kill himself, basically, for the sake of everyone else. And, but and he shares the news. He does. He shares the news. So, so it's, it's, it's almost like a, he's an apostle, but an anti-apostle? I don't know. It's, 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 which, it's interesting. Which gets to my point. You know, it takes this, these terms, apostle, sharing the gospel, the good news. But it's not the good news of the resurrection. It's not the good news of the Easter story. It's the good news of, Aaron, I, I can't be this. I have to sacrifice myself for the greater good. You know, and he has that line, I did my best. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's so moving to me that, you know, take away the glamour of the ceremony, the glamour of the ritual, the glamour of the, the scriptures even, the glamour of the Christ story. I think the beauty of the show is showing that we can be good people because humans can be good people. We don't need a savior. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor to embrace our goodness. Mm-hmm. So that's my rant. There's my soapbox. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% see where you're coming from. Um, you know, to me, as someone of faith, again, I, I didn't feel like it was inherently anti-religion, uh, but I did think that it was much more open. You know, it, 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 I don't think it at any point really said religion is bad. No. What it said was um, hypocrisy is bad. Uh, in, you know, insincerity is bad. So can, um, can you define that then for me? You know, when, because to Bev and Monsignor Pruitt, they were not being hypocrites. The people who were being hypocrites were Riley and Aaron, who were given gifts of the divine and, you know, spit but, them out. But, but in, in their case, you know, with both of them, they, they weren't given gifts uh, of the divine. They were given gifts of something else. But that's and relative. they recognized it for, for what they were. Well, I, I don't necessarily think... in. I think because we have people that are religious interpreting what's happening through the lens of their misinterpretation of their own religion, uh, it's, it, it does muddy the waters. I would say it's one of those things where we have other people who are very religious. Um, you know, so we have Lisa, we have Riley's parents, we have... Uh, uh, what's her name? Um, the Mildred, uh, who is the the you know lady who had dementia and then becomes you know kind of younger again. We have all of these people who are who are very sincere in their faith, and they have moments where they recognize this is not um my religion. This is not the good uh and and the belief that I have. And and so the the fact that they were willing to step away from the the things that were happening as a group, uh, to you know, kind of reinforce something that was you know tied to their actual faith, to me that was was sincere religion. Um, I I will say that yeah, like certainly in this case we have you know the the force of uh, a public, you know I guess uh, religion as a, an organized group of people that exert power and influence, and like. Yeah, it, it does talk about how that can go wrong very easily. And so, yeah, like, maybe this is anti... I don't know. I, I, think, I think we're agreeing, because 
I, I will say, like, maybe not specifically anti, like, organized religion, but certainly, like, it's, it's very system. critical. It's not, it's system, not people. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's looking very critically at, at uh, organized religions and saying, hey, you need to, like, be careful. It's not saying necessarily that they are bad, but rather that they can become bad. Or that um, because any organized religion is going to be tied to the people that are in it, um, you have to be aware that there may be a disconnect between how what someone says they believe and what they actually believe, or how they live their life. So again, you know, hypocrisy. So, so yeah, to me, this is, you know, basically, be a good person, whether that's religious or not, is up to you, but be actually sincere and pay attention and don't follow things just because someone said it was okay, but because it's the right, actual, sincere thing, which, to me, I mean, fits my own, you know, religious beliefs very nicely, where, you know, I don't do things because I, I've been told to do them, I do them because I sincerely believe them. Anyway, that's that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with you to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would argue that Riley's parents don't kind of wake up until it's almost too late. Yeah. I mean, Riley's mom turns Aaron away. That was not a very Christ-like thing to do. You know, she she yeah. came to her and, you know, tried to tell her that her son was dead and the mom kind of spit on her, so to speak. But, uh, but to be fair, I think she was in shock at, at that, yeah, that information and didn't didn't yeah, want to believe but, it. That's fair, but there's always kind of an excuse again here, you know, whether it's someone's interpretation of the scripture or someone's emotional stability. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of a cop-out for religion. They have to own that their teaching and the scriptures that they're providing to their congregation allows them kind of ammo to use against people when times get tough. And I, I, yeah. I think that was another message of this is you know, the fallacy of religion is, you know, Christ said, love thy neighbor. That's the second greatest commandment. But mm-hmm. here, here's a whole book about how to also hate your neighbor and judge your neighbor. And if they're different from you, it, you know, it's, it's complicated, of course. Uh, I would agree that it's probably not anti-religion. I think it's anti-system. Yeah, yeah, I think that's her. But I, I think it's a slippery slope when we talk about um, I don't know, you can have good people participating in a bad system, and when does it become bad? You know, I'm sure there were a lot of people in Heaven's Gate, Jonestown, Waco, who had good intentions. They thought they were doing good things, but what they were doing were terrible, mm-hmm. and we hold them accountable to that, right? Yes, absolutely. So where's the line? It, it is admittedly hard to, to say definitively where, uh, you know, good and bad are in any given person, which I think is part of the point, exactly. You know, is that, like, sometimes things are good and bad. Sometimes people are good and bad. In fact, everyone is. Like, like no one is all bad or all good. You know, again, we, we aren't the worst thing that we've done, but we're also not necessarily the best thing that we've done either. We're that everything is more complicated than that, which I love in this. You know, I love have this having this moral ambiguity explored in such a an interesting, compelling, thought provoking way. 
that it is, you know, calling into question religion and uh, a variety of religions and 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 a total uh, absence of faith and all of that, and still looking very critically at all of these and saying, how can you be a good or maybe not even be a good person, but rather just be a person whose life is worthwhile and asking I, I, that I question. Would... I would say how to be a good person, Nathaniel, because yeah, yeah. you you and me are a very prime example of this, I think, because a lot of people ask me, you know, uh, spitting truth here, you know, from someone who is gay, you know, the Mormon church at its core can be very homophobic. Uh, the queer experience doesn't really fit into its doctrine very well. So how can I be such a good friend with someone yourself who believes in it so fervently? And it's because... I believe in you. I, I like your friendship radiates through the religion. I don't your, your dogma and your doctrine don't matter to me because you are a good person. Um, and I think really at the end of the day, that's what the show is talking about. Is it doesn't matter what we think at the end of our lives. It's mm -hmm. can we unite with people? Can we be human with people? Can we kind of experience the same thing in different ways and let that breathe and be okay with that. Someone can be a Christian, someone can be a Muslim, someone can be straight, someone could be gay, whatever. And that's all right. And isn't that true religion? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's, that's my religion rant. <laughs> Man. And we, we have, see, see, I, this is, this is what makes this piece so great <laughs> is that, that this is the kind of thought provoking uh, stuff that it brings up. Well, well, we've definitely hit on why this uh, thing is a masterpiece. Should we talk about like the very, very small cons of it? Yeah, I think we have two, um, maybe two yep. and a half. For me, I think there was this little arc towards the end of the show where Monsignor, we find out, has a daughter, and the daughter happens to be the island doctor, and the mom was uh, kind of this old... Alzheimer's patient that he'd been curing with a vampire blood. Um, that just kind of came out of absolutely nowhere. Oh no, I totally saw that like two episodes in. Oh, I I was like, what? what? <laughs> um, after something that was so methodically planned out, that moment was just like, wait, but why? Why does this matter right now? This is silly. I, I just didn't I didn't get it. There were things about it I, I kind of liked. I I, I think, you know, part of it was also, you know, making the point that, like, you know, like, showing other people love and um, spending time with people and all that is more important than, like, trying to make some sort of grand gesture. You know, so basically, you know, that that was his big motivator was that he wanted to bring this, you know, healing and all of that that, that the vampire brought to them, specifically. You know, he wanted to feel this love of his life that he wasn't or ever able to be with, that he shouldn't have ever been with at all, um, according to the tenets of his faith, and 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 also, you know, actually be with his daughter and, and to have that father-daughter relationship. But, you know, and so, like, like, as a motivator, like, I thought it was fine, but I would say that the breadcrumbs that they dropped along the way were a little bit weaker. Um, there were little, like, nods, like, uh, for example, uh, when, uh, Riley, I think it was, you know, says something like, 
oh hey you uh you could be his uh the the monsignor's uh son i mean I'm sure you're not, but I mean, there was always talk uh, when I was younger that that maybe he. Oh, 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 never mind. Yeah, there's like little things like that kind of sprinkled throughout, and so like I I was pretty hip to it pretty quickly. Hmm. But even still, like I I felt like they could have fleshed that out more and and had that been a more meaningful component, or just dropped it, and I don't think it would have been that bad of a a thing to lose in terms of major plot elements. It also just kind of felt like it, it happened all of a sudden at the very end of the episode. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was definitely, like, right at the end of the series, there's this, like, thing that we're supposed to, like, very tightly emotionally connect with. And I think if it had come out earlier, it would have been much more meaningful. Agreed. Or some sort of conflict with Monsignor Pruitt. Of, uh, I don't know, it just kind of felt contrived. Um, yeah. His redemption overall felt a little contrived to me i think after all that he had done with the vampire it didn't make much sense to me that he would see all this carnage and then all of a sudden decide oh i uh, this is bad we gotta stop this Um, i mean so uh, to play devil's advocate a little bit so, so i i mostly agree with you but i will say that like his way of planning out the the midnight mass stuff was intended to be much more we're going to then teach these people that's how to fair. be vampires and then let them out slowly and, and you know, yeah, that's ha- help them do it the right way. But then he gets shot in the head, so that doesn't happen. That's a good point. It's a very good point. So, so I would say it unfortunately didn't necessarily draw, again, maybe enough attention to the fact that that like he had a different plan for how this would all go out uh, go down that was a little less messed up but even still it it does feel like kind of a, an abrupt heel turn as soon as his uh daughter is conveniently killed <laughs> yeah exactly it was kind of a shock and turn kind of a thing yeah so yeah i i would have wouldn't have mind if certain elements of his plan had been fleshed out for us beforehand. That way we could have seen just how off the rails it went when he gets shot and then Bev takes over. But Bev taking over was terrifying and amazing. Oh, for sure. I just think that maybe if we had understand, <laughs> or understood just how much she just changes everything uh, to kind of fit her way of seeing the world, it would have been a bit stronger. But, yeah. Oh, well. But not not to say that... that Monsignor's plan wasn't horrifying because I mean he he literally is having them like hold uh, the uh, the sheriff down as his son is is taking the poison and that's still real rough. Um, the the other con for me was that the old age makeup uh, and and some of the acting for for when they're being old wasn't great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, specifically if, Alex Esso as Mildred Gunning, like they just couldn't. I don't know. She's actually a pretty good actress overall, but as Mildred, it, it was a little corny, especially just like her old lady voice and and the old age makeup for her. I was like, that's definitely a you know forty year old woman dressed as a seventy year old woman. Yeah, I think a lot of people picked up on that. Uh, my sister said something. Mark even was like. 
oh hey they look they're in old people makeup we're gonna get flashbacks or something like it was very apparent yeah same with like the monsignor i i, I couldn't tell necessarily who it was early on with his old age, age makeup whenever they would have little flashes to him but it definitely was you know a younger person in old age makeup which i don't know unfortunately those those little moments threw me out a little bit but again like very minor complaints overall. Um, should we move on to our ratings? Sure. So how would you rate it in terms of screams? How scary was Midnight Mass? So I gave it a 7. And I think for me, I was pretty horrified at the last two episodes with the carnage, uh, the massacre, the whole Jonestown vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the moments with the vampire, the creepy eyes, um, all throughout, I thought it was pretty scary. I gave it a seven. Um, it wasn't the most terrifying thing, but really the, the scene where they're all drinking the poison and Monsignor is like holding them, that just, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I don't want to say it triggered me because everyone loves the word trigger nowadays, but it, it kind of got under my skin more than it may have should have other people. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I gave it a six. I I agree. Like those moments were harrowing, but ultimately, like the series as a whole, didn't have that many moments of of horror. Like a lot of it was, you know, kind of more uh, meticulously paced, uh, but well paced. Don't don't get me wrong. But you know, just kind of these these like slower, quiet character moments. And so, like, the, the moments of horror when they came were solid, but I wouldn't have minded a few more moments of horror. But, yeah, yeah. six. It, but, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily meant to be, you know, ball-shrivelingly terrifying the whole time. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, same. Uh, so, crowns? Uh, oh. Had the Monsignor not been a dad, I would have given it a ten. It would have been my first ten. But he had to just couldn't keep it in his pants. So I gave it a 9.5. Yeah, for me it was a 9.5. Mostly just the, the old person acting is what knocked it down, just that half point. But let's say let's say it's a, it's a strong 9.5 rounding up to a 10. Like, I think I gave it 10 on uh, IMDb, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day it is a 10, but we have to be critics. <laughs> yes. Um, well, how have you been saying spooky lately? Ugh, I've been waiting for this. Um, I watched on one of my recent flights for work a fantastic Netflix horror movie um, called A Classic Horror Story. Um, an Italian movie that I don't want to say too much because the less you know, the better the show is. Um, the, the trailer makes it kind of this very gothic slasher kind of cabin in the woods show and while it is that it's so much more um it's brilliant definitely go watch it on netflix um and it's kind of nice too because it is an italian movie but a lot of characters speak english in it actually um so it's it's kind of a nice mix of both reading the subtitles but then also um, having your native language if you're an english speaker yeah um furthermore i have books of blood um, on my stay of spooky, it's Clive Barker. I love Clive. Uh, he's a hero of mine. However, I think I've already done Books of Blood for staying spooky. 
So instead, I recently rewatched Halloween Town and Halloween Town 2. Um, Disney's masterpieces? Um, they're not great. They're not great, but they're super nostalgic and made me feel like it was Halloween. So I'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, I see. I don't have nostalgia for most of those things because I didn't have Disney Channel ever growing up. I know. Well, so, yeah, whenever I encounter things like that, it's just kind of a painful experience. But hey, I'm glad some people like it, I guess. Well, no, not really. You, it just makes me. You have so- two children and a wife who loves Hocus Pocus. So get ready, kiddo. Oh, heaven spare me. Um, <laughs> well, I've been staying spooky lately um, by t- two major things. One, uh, I recently have been listening to the uh, Alien Audible dramas. So they have these like full cast performances uh, of, of stories set in the Alien universe. Um, so the first one that they did, I actually listened to a while back called like out of the shadows and it's set between alien and aliens it's real good i really liked it a lot and then they've uh, had one that was like a prequel to aliens um kind of like what happened on the the colony before uh ripley and the marine show up and that one was fun it wasn't necessary by any means but it was really well done and then they have one that's like set like hundreds of years after all of the main alien stories which was uh, pretty solid they're really good. Uh, they're really fun to listen to. They're all like included if you have uh, an Audible Plus subscription, and which I had a free trial for, so I just listened to all of them back to back for free, and then canceled my trial, <laughs> um, like I do. Um, so those are are a good time. And then also, I'm about a third of the way through Resident Evil Eight Village. Ooh, good times. Uh, definitely enjoying it on my PS5, and you know, to talk, it's talk to my boyfriend about that. He loves that game. Yeah, I, I'm really digging it. It had some real strong uh, moments of horror. Like I, I would say, it's it's too easy so far. Um, like yeah, a lot of the combat, a lot of the survival stuff is not difficult, but the it's thrown some real curveballs in terms of like really upsetting stuff like there's a section with dolls and marionettes and stuff that uh-huh i've seen that part terrifying yeah, yeah the the thing that chases you around the basement is mm. very upsetting and mm. reminds me of like silent hill especially like silent hill 4 and also like amnesia the dark descent i don't know it they're, they're definitely like pulling from a lot of other things and it's great yeah, I've only seen snippets here and there, but oof. Yeah, it's uh, it's a solid game. I really enjoy it. Um, oh, moving away from saying spooky, I just wanted to to briefly mention for Midnight Mass. If you enjoyed Midnight Mass and haven't or and uh, want other things with maybe some similar vibes, uh, Mike Flanagan has not been uh, subtle at all about some of his influences. Uh, he he was very influenced by uh, two Stephen King books, so uh, Salem's Lot for a lot of the vampiric elements, um, and then also uh, a recent Stephen King book called Revival about religious revivals and stuff. And so, um, you know, if you're looking for something with either of those vibes, 
check out those those books. Uh, I would say Revival is probably much less well known than uh, Salem's Lot, but they're both really entertaining and uh, I think worthwhile. So, you know, just uh, if if you want more midnight mass vibes in your life before you know, or I guess while while we're waiting for the next Mike Flanagan mini series, which is yeah. I think uh, the Midnight Club. Yeah, the Midnight Club. When is that coming out? Do we have to wait a whole other year? Um, I think it's early next year. Um, has a lot of the same actors, of course, like he does. Uh, this one's based off of a uh, novella by um, uh, what? Or not novella? Uh, a novel by what's that dude's name? Or I guess off of a series by uh, Christopher Pike, or yeah, a book by Christopher Pike. Sorry. Hmm. You, you know, so so if you if you like those those '90s riffic uh, kind of teen uh, horror novels of of Christopher Pike, The Midnight Club, but you know, done by Mike Flanagan, so it'll probably be like super amazing. Like like he usually does. Oh, Mike Flanagan. We need to meet you and Ari Aster and we'll just explode. Yep. I will just weep with joy. <laughs> Someday. Someday. Alright. Alright, everyone. If you're still with us, thank you for letting us ramble on this amazing, amazing show. Uh, stay tuned. We have some fun Halloween stuff planned and stay spooky! Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.